Hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 11, first three verses. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Amen. And so far, God's word. Well, a little orientation to the book of Hebrews and why we get to this chapter right here in the book of Hebrews. Have you ever asked yourself that question if you read the book of Hebrews? It seems like a departure from the method and from what the writer is seeking to impress upon his audience. Well, what the writer of Hebrews is wanting to impress upon their audience is this. Stop crawfishing. Now, maybe one or two people in this audience here gathered know what I mean by crawfishing. Crawfishing isn't necessarily the act of catching the crawfish in order to deliciously boil them and eat them until you fill yourself with so much crawfish protein that you begin to sweat because of the heat and humidity. And that takes a lot of peeling of these little bugs to get that much protein in you. That it's worth the trouble. No, I'm not talking about the actual catching of crawfish. I'm talking about behaving like a crawfish. Now, if you don't know what a crawfish is, picture a mini lobster that just lives in the mud. It lives in ditches, lives in swamps. A mini lobster. And this is what a crawfish does. It does have a defense mechanism. Claws like a lobster. But when it's threatened, it backs up into its hole trying to pinch, knowing that their pinchers can only do so much. And so when you say someone is crawfishing, well, they're retreating from a position. They're maybe letting you down. They, there was a commitment that they, they didn't follow through on their commitment. Well, that's what the, the audience of this letter was doing. They had come to make a credible profession of faith in Jesus as their Savior, and then they started retreating. They started crawfishing. They started going back to, instead of what was theirs in the New Covenant because of what Christ had done in His life, death, and resurrection, they started looking back to the Old Covenant, the Old Moses Administration, and the old temple administration. And they said, we understand this, we've believed in Christ, but we haven't seen the fullness of what we believed. And under threat and under persecution, it would seem that they began to retreat from the gospel. And so throughout the letter, the author of the book of Hebrews has gone again and again to them and said, don't you realize that what you have in the New Covenant is better than the Old? That it is the fulfillment of what was the Old and what was promised there. You have it in Christ. 
He is the, the better Moses. He is the, the better temple. He is the better sacrifice. He is the better priest. And you could go on and on. And the author is making that case in the letter to the Hebrews. And then it comes to a point that he has to point out to them, be careful that you don't shrink back from what you've heard. He reminds them that all of Israel that heard the promises of God, some of them did not receive the promises of God with faith, but responded to the promises of God in unbelief. And throughout the letter, coming to where we are in the letter, in the book of Hebrews, there's the contrast between unbelief and faith. And finally, in the context, right before Hebrews chapter 11, so if you close your Bible, open it again, and look at the end of chapter 10, and beginning in verse 35. This is what is setting the stage for why the author is going to talk about faith in chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Here now the author is quoting from the prophet Habakkuk. And listen. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere, preserve their souls. Preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance. You see there's a connection. The chapter divisions is for our help to find our place in the letter, but the author wants us to read it that way. He wants us to say, don't be like those who shrink back. Live by faith for the, for the preserving of your soul. And so in this chapter, he's going to say, well, what does it look like to live by faith? How is it that by faith you preserve your soul? And the word faith is used 24 times in the Greek in Hebrews chapter 11. It begins here with helping us orient ourselves to what is faith. But in starting in verse 1 with what is faith, it's not necessarily a comprehensive definition because we can go throughout the scriptures and find more to add to a full biblical definition of what faith is. But here, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 particularly, helps us build our definition of what is biblical faith by describing important aspects of what faith does. And what is laid out here in the first verse is then illustrated throughout the rest of the chapter. So it's more of a description than a definition, but in this description, we can say this about faith. Faith is spiritual eyesight. If seeing is believing, you've heard the saying, faith involves perceiving and believing what is beyond perception. It's there in verse 1. What is hoped for? What is not seen? It's things that are not grasped with empirical sense perception according to our five senses. 
No. Faith is spiritual eyesight. Seeing and believing the unseen and coming to know it as a true reality. Because the things that God has promised and the things that He's done, though unseen, they are the realest reality that there is. And so, in a short time, because I know the hoopers here are, are, are ready to ball, so I appreciate everyone's attention, and we'll get there. Three things to look at in these three verses tonight. To begin our look at faith before and after Abraham. I want to spend a little more time looking at the eyes of faith from verse 1. Then I want us to think about and prepare for the study of the examples that we have in chapter 11. So I want us to think about the examples to emulate. And then thirdly, the explanation of existence. The explanation of existence. Number one, the eyes of faith. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 11 with me. You need the eyes of faith to persevere. The Hebrew audience, the, the recipients of this letter, they were in danger of letting go. And so he's reorienting, reshifting, if you would. Or as those of us who have uh, problems with seeing, I'm wearing contacts tonight because my glasses fall off my face and it's very distracting to see you keep pushing your glasses back on. But those of us know that it's good to get your eyes checked and your prescription adjusted. And here there's this verse 1, a prescription adjustment, if you would, for the Hebrew uh, audience of this letter. And in it, this prescription adjustment, it's a two-part adjustment. There's a two-part framework to understand the eyes of faith. There's a dual perspective or two dimensions that he says, here are two dimensions I want you to see. Two perspectives. The first one is in the first phrase. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The first perspective is the looking forward perception. What does faith do? Faith looks forward. It looks forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. And so throughout the chapter, he's going to say, look at the men and women of old and how they lived like this and how that when God promised, whether it be children or land, when God promised, they lived according to hope, looking forward. And that's how they endured. It is the assurance of hope, looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. That's what faith does. It's almost as if you can see the future based on the promises of God. And I think that's helpful for us to be reminded of that every day, every week, but of course in, in our time. To be assured of, yes, there will be a reckoning. Yes, Jesus will return. Yes, every knee will bow before Him and declare Him as Lord. Looking forward to the promises to where that He will judge wickedness and reward the faithful and those who trusted in Him and also believing His promises that He is still saving rebels and sinners like us today. 
It's the assurance of hope, looking forward, the eyes of faith. Now, this word assurance, depending on if you uh, have been reading the Bible for, for many years and decades, you may have seen it translated differently in different English translations. Another uh, translation would say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Here in the ESV it says, the assurance of things hoped for. And what we're getting at here is that the, the English translators are uncertain how to really put it. Should it be assurance and should it be substance? Well, the difference is that assurance has a more subjective aspect. It means I have certainty in my heart that what I hope for, God will keep His promises to me. To say substance is more of an objective use of the word. It means that there is something outside of me that faith has brought into a reality in my life. I think it's helpful that the author used this word because there is a objective and subjective sense of our believing and our relating to and knowing God. We are now God's children through faith. That's a now reality confirmed in our hearts by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit by which we cry, Abba Father to our Heavenly Father. And yet, what we will be like has not been seen by us. But when we see Jesus face to face, we'll be transformed and changed in a moment. There's an objective reality to come and the subjective experience and it's all here in our experience of the already and the not yet. So that's the first perspective, the looking forward perspective. But also you could say that there's a looking up perspective. A looking up perspective. There, the second phrase, the conviction of things not seen. Now, looking up may not be the the best way, but it's a, a metaphor, uh, a metaphorical way to say the conviction of things not seen means looking to the unseen reality of God's presence. Looking forward to His promises and also looking for the unseen reality of God's presence. This word conviction has a particular uh, connotation in, in the Greek. It's used in a, a legal sense. A conviction in a law court. And so what the writer is getting at here is that there are unseen realities proven by the experience of faith. And so he's saying, look to the promises of God and look to the God who is there. Look to the God who has revealed Himself in His Word. And live with the reality of God's presence in your life. I know Jesus is alive as a fact of history. But I also have a conviction by personal experience that has come through faith. That God has given us faith. So this isn't a complete definition of faith, but it's helpful. It helps us understand how to walk by faith and to live by faith. There's other ways that the New Testament speaks of faith. It speaks of faith being a creed. So that's emphasizing the content of what we believe. So there's the faith. And then 
The New Testament speaks of Christ as the object of our faith. And when we make Christ the object of our faith, the emphasis is on receiving and resting on Him for salvation as He is offered in the Gospel. And here we see that saving faith is to mature into persevering faith. That adheres to the promises of God in the face of opposition. That where there's nowhere else to turn, that saving faith becomes depending upon the Word of God as true against all enemies and against all circumstances. Saving faith grows up into remaining faithful to the Son of God, looking forward to the hope that is based on the promises of God and looking up to the unseen reality of our Heavenly Father and His care for us through His Spirit and His Son interceding on our behalf. So the eyes of faith. The second thing, look at verse 2 again with me. The examples to emulate. Here, uh, verse 2, For by it the people of old receive their commendation. They received approval from God. Now, that is not to say that God accepted their faith instead of their obedience. What it is to say is that God was pleased by their faith. It is not to say that their faith merited the promises of God, but it is to say that God delights when His people believe His promises and act on it. It's encouraging to know that as we grow in our faith, that with every baby step we take, our Heavenly Father says, That's great! Keep going! What a great job! He's not looking at us and saying, Ah, you just learned to crawl. Maybe one day you'll learn to walk. And you learn to walk. Well, maybe one day you learn to run. And as you run, one day you learn to, to run a, 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 an eight-minute mile or a six-minute mile. Or No, it's every step of the way He is saying, My delight, my approval is on those who believe my promises and then act accordingly. And so He gives us models and illustrations looking at those who trusted God's promises before Christ came in the flesh. Here, it's commending faith as a, as a virtue, as something to be honored, to be sought, to be modeled. It's similar to passages in Scripture like uh, the, the rest of Hebrews 11, passages like Proverbs 31. Now, Proverbs 31, after the first couple of verses, it spends its time describing the excellent wife. Or 1 Corinthians 13, an entire chapter of Scripture that is devoted to describing love in action. And here, he takes example after example to describe how to live by faith, how to walk by faith, how to cling to God's promises. Now, you could have skipped this chapter altogether and really not lost too much in way of argument in the in the book of Hebrews. It does feel like there, there's this major kind of abrupt change in, in the flow of the letter. You could have said, back to 1039, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
And then you could have gone straight to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He could have said, we're not going to be like those who shrink back. We're going to look to Jesus, and we're going to look to his perseverance through the cross, and his holding on to joy, and believing the promises of his heavenly Father. But instead, we get this long section Many examples. He says, here are the models who look to Christ. And they look to Christ before Christ came. And he's saying, from those who walk by faith before the cross, there is much to be gained by those who are on this side of the cross to learn how to continue trusting Christ. The chapter ends in, in verse 39 towards the end of the, the section. It says, And all of these, those who for the next coming weeks will look at their stories, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. He's saying, we're going to look at these believers under the old covenant, but we have a better position that we face the future having the cross behind us. And it's the encouragement that if God enabled them to live by faith, awaiting Christ's coming, God will certainly keep us and help us walk by faith as we await His return. And so look to these models to see how to endure and how to hold on to Christ. But then, if we would take a step back and consider then, this is part of how God intends for the faith to be passed on. That we are to look and stand upon the shoulders who've come before us. In the Old Testament, the apostles and the early church and our elders and the faith here. Those who've walked with the Lord for years. And that we are to seek out those in the body of Christ and say, I'm, I'm newly married and I'm struggling as a husband to be a husband to my wife as, as, as Christ is to His bride. You, you have many years of, of faithful Christian marriage. Would you walk with me and help me walk by faith in this area of my life? And it means finding someone and saying, I'm single. I'm lonely. I'm tempted. Can you walk with me? You've been down the path that I've been down. Can you, can you help me stay faithful to Christ and walk with them? And it's also not just finding someone, but being on the lookout for someone. Grabbing a college student. Grabbing a young professional. A family that hasn't slept in days because there's a newborn in the house and they are on the brink of utter insanity and saying you can do this look to Christ here's the hope one day they will grow up one day half of your grocery budget will not be spent on diapers one day they will Lord willing move out of your home 
finding someone and saying, I've walked where you're walking, let's walk together. And finding someone who you say, you've been where I want to go. I, I want to have decades of faithful marriage. I want to have decades of honoring God in my business and in my pursuits. I want to learn how to lead a small group. I want to learn how to teach a Sunday school class. I have a sense that God has called me to be a missionary or to be a pastor. Would you help me? Would you help me discern? Would you help me walk out by faith? And so we have the examples from scriptures that we all draw from and then we look to then emulate that model in our life. So let us walk together. And lastly, we have the eyes of faith, the examples to emulate, and then the explanation of existence. This is a unique verse in the, in the entire chapter, verse 3. Here it explains that all of existence itself relies on faith to have any true and right understanding of it. So we want to be careful and, and just take a moment as we, we come to, to an end and consider the words, the phrases here in verse 3. By faith. Throughout the chapter it will say, by faith at least 18 times. And so here's the first by faith in the entire chapter. But it's a unique by faith. Because instead of saying, by faith Abel, or by faith Joseph, or by faith so-and-so, here it says, by faith we. We. It's unique because he is drawing on the shared faith of the author and the audience. And what does he say? He says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. How can he say that this is something that we understand? We weren't there. Remember what Job was told in Job 38.4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. This is something that, apart from God's revelation, we would not have true understanding of. But because of His revelation, we can understand. We weren't there to observe. It is impossible to go back and figure out exactly what happened apart from God telling us. And so it says the universe was created. The universe is not eternal. There was a time when the whole scheme of time and space did not exist. It was just God. And how did it come into existence? It came into existence by the Word of God. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. By the Word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The world was created by the Word of God, and we know this because God has told us. He says, Believe me, the entire world around us requires faith to have true understanding. By God's design, His creatures would have to exercise faith in believing Him. 
We were made to believe. And a major component of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God was not believing what God told them and instead believing what the serpent said. We were made to believe. And we cannot understand life and everything about it without faith and believing what God has told us about why we were created and the purpose of this world. And in this context, the author is saying, let's go back to something we, we believe. As, as you are struggling with believing the gospel, you, you want to go back to old Judaism. Well, we understand from the Hebrew scriptures that God created the world by His Word. And he's setting the stage saying, if you can believe Genesis 1, then you can believe what I told you earlier in this letter. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, that, that God, who created by His Word, has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Hebrews 1, 2. He's saying, if you can believe the creation account, you can believe what Christ has done for you at the cross. He's saying you can believe what Christ will do and what we see in Revelation 21 and 22. So in the midst of your battle, don't shrink back, but look to what is promised you and have an assurance of hope and perceive and count as true and real the things that are unseen because God has spoken and He keeps all His promises. Amen? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of His Word this evening and I will close in prayer and then we'll stand and sing the doxology. Our great God, what an amazing thing that you have created all things by the word of your power. And that word is the living word, Christ, who is preeminent in all of your creation, the point of existence itself, that we might come to know our Creator through the Redeemer and Mediator. So help us to not turn from Christ, but to walk with Him to live by faith for the preserving of our souls. We ask that you would bless the preaching of your word to our lives. And we ask that uh, this evening as we enjoy one another's fellowship, that there be sweet communion among the saints tonight. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.